Primary threat spotted. Moving into position. The craved for strength and certainty of steel. Cadia marks the boundary where reality and unreality meet. Of course, we didn't expect to die out here. You know, I'm beginning to wish I'd asked for more money. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. D20Radio.com Alright everyone, this is Sugi with Squad Tactica, and I am very excited because we have a special guest, Miniac. He is going to be coming on the show, so Scott and his buddy John are going to be our guests this week, and we're going to be talking all about the hobby aspect. So if you're listening and you're like, well, I want to listen to competitive talk, army listing, things like that. We're going to do all that next week. So this week, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk a lot about paints, brushes, techniques, all kinds of things like that. But before we do, I definitely want to give a shout out to all of our sponsors. Big thank you to Army Painter, uh, Battle Foam, and Discount Games Inc. for helping sponsor the show, as well as all of our Patreons. Thank you for helping keep the show going, going, and going. I want to also give a huge shout out to Battle Foam and Hobby Holder. We're doing promotions with both of those companies so with battle foam if you use the code bf squad may 2019 you'll get 10 percent off any purchase on battlefoam.com and that's good until the end of may so if you've been thinking about getting that you know foam bag for your kill team uh, now is the best time to do it because you're going to get that 10 percent discount off also i've been talking about the hobby holder for a long freaking time and i'm still going to be talking about it because that thing's amazing uh, but kit was kind enough to also set up a 10% discount for all of the listeners of the podcast. So if you go to gameenvy.net slash shop, when you use the code squad tactica, whenever you check out, you'll get 10% off everything in that shop. They are doing some pre-orders for the extra large stability bar. Anything that's a pre-order does not qualify for the 10% off, but everything else, they have the, the hobby holder, they have the threaded base, they have the regular stability bar. All that stuff is 10% off. We've already had people get bags from Battle Foam and stuff from the hobby holder store. So if you've been on the fence, if you're like, I don't really know, I'm maybe I'm not sure, now is a great time because you're going to get 10% off both of those items and it's just a really good time to get ready because with summer coming up there's going to be a lot more time to paint a lot more time to play I mean it does depend on your job and your family and things like that but traditionally summer has a little bit more free time and a little bit more stuff going on at the friendly local game store because you've got OP kits you've got prize support you've got all kinds of stuff trying to get new players in and current players to come and bring friends so this is a great time to pick up your hobby holder and your battle foam stuff so without further ado i'm very excited to present scott and john from miniac and we're gonna have a lot of fun with this show All right, everybody, welcome back to Squad Tactica. This is episode, uh, well, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm pretty sure it's episode 212. We'll get to that in post-production, probably. But we have some amazing guests that I'm extremely excited to talk to you about painting models and miniatures, and that is Scott and John from Miniac. 
How are you guys doing? Well, Ooh. I'm pretty amazing. I don't know about John, though. <laughs> he asked how you're feeling, not just how you think of yourself. <laughs> I'm doing great. Both, All right. Both of those are relative to the question. All right. All right. Yeah. I'm also great. Thanks for having us. This is fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, I don't know if this is fun or not yet. I can, I'll determine <laughs> that later. <laughs> So uh, for those listening who don't know about uh, Scott and John or Miniac, can you give us just a short little um, you know, description about what you guys are, what you guys do, and where people can find your content? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name's Scott. I run the channel Miniac, and John helps me out with running the channel uh, by hosting uh, different content and also collaborating with me on the channel. But the channel is all about just the love of miniatures. So we have all kinds of stuff from skits that poke fun at the kind of eccentricities of miniature painters. We have technical stuff that goes into uh, techniques and also deep dives on gear reviews. And also we just paint miniatures on the uh, YouTube as well. And we're looking to get into podcasts. We've done a, a little bit of dabbling in that. And also we're looking to get into playing some games too. So it's really like a, just let's do everything. <laughs> well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Before we get super deep into you know the painting questions, I'm sure a lot of people would love to know uh, what got you guys into uh, the painting industry. Was it you know, uh, well, I mean, like what what was it? There's so many potential things that you know could have brought you in, and I'd love to hear you know just what got you started. Okay, John, you go first. Uh, I've been painting a little over two years now, and I got started. Um, through Dungeons and Dragons, actually. So I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for like 25 years. Um, and, and in that game, you use miniatures on the, the table. Um, and about two years ago, a local hobby store um, I saw was doing a painting competition for Age of Sigmar models. And I had never seen those before. And coming from a fantasy background, I was like, oh my gosh, these things are amazing. The qualities of these miniatures are way better than the average D&D uh, miniature. So I'm like, heck yeah, I want to paint one. Um, and I just got absolutely hooked, started getting in that deep dive into learning about the hobby and using uh, social media and YouTube to really try to get get good quick. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Are you what? good yet? What? That was like a smarmy laugh, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> All right, my turn. I used to go to a mall with my mom when I was in fifth grade, I think. I was 10 years old, and I hated going to the mall, but there was a games workshop in the mall, and I'd always see it and always want to go inside of it. And eventually, one time I went inside of it, and I convinced my mom to come with me shortly after, and she didn't want me to buy any of the Warhammer stuff because it had demons in it, uh, <laughs> but she loved Lord of the Rings, so she let me <laughs> buy some of those models. Um yeah, so she helped me paint them, and then eventually they got some of my own income from mowing lawns, and then I bought whatever I wanted, and it's all down here from there. That that sounds very similar to my story. Was it one of those like single employee shops in the mall? No, actually, it had a few employees. Um, so oh, that, really? Yeah, I'm I'm coming to understand that that is not normal uh, because most of the stores nowadays are single employees. Well, yeah, they they are now, but like I used to live in California, so we went to the Glendale Mall. And it was a, a pretty decent sized store, but there was only one. I ever only ever saw one employee, but it was like the exact same thing. Like, oh, there's demons and like witches, but there's Lord of the Rings. So you can do that. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Nice. I'll take 
I'll do Gandalf. That sounds good. That was like my first model ever. And uh, yeah, I was like, that sounds familiar. So anyways, nostalgia aside, um, there's a lot of people who are getting into miniature painting because Kill Team is just insanely approachable, both from a budget perspective. You can play arguably slightly competitively for like 50 bucks or less. And even if you don't play competitively, you can just play a miniatures game for, you know, $20, $30, which is really nice because in the olden days it would be hundreds of dollars now it's just you know a couple cups of coffee but along with getting into the game you really don't want to play with gray miniatures so a lot of people are starting to paint a lot of people are asking hey uh, what do i do what do i use blah 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 blah. so like one of the very first questions i want to ask you two since you're the experts what are some of your favorite brushes for newer painters or people who are getting back in uh, because there's a lot of people who play, say, 8th edition, or they have played 40k before, and they already have the model, so all they did was pick up the rule book, and they've started to kind of play the game again, and start to kind of get back into the world of painting miniatures. So they're kind of re-establishing, oh, you know, my brushes are kind of old, my paints are kind of old, where do I get started? I want to take a step back here for a moment. When you said you could get into Kill Team for the price of a couple of cups of coffee, how much does your coffee cost, sir? Uh, my <laughs> wife gets the large Starbucks things, which are like, what, five bucks? All right. So instead of four of those, you could buy... Or you could go have these with a friend on one of the $40 boxes. Yeah. Or if you yeah. didn't drink six of them, you could buy a box of Harlequins <laughs> and you're good to go. And I mean, if, if you go off of like the the GW box sets when they when they break those out and they sell them individually on eBay, like, yeah, you can get like a kill team for like $12. So, yeah. all right. That, yeah. that is true. Yeah. If you hit like eBay or a third party, yeah, you're super cheap in that. Yeah. Are we not supposed but to talk about that? Are we, are we only allowed to buy Fine. games through... Games Workshop. No. <laughs> no, you can buy wherever you want. <laughs> I like I like how you gave them crap about the coffee thing, but then you backed it up by saying you could totally get a kill team for twelve bucks if you buy it on eBay. Like, what side are you on, John? <laughs> Clearly, chaos. Touche. Yeah. Chaotic, e- neutral chaos. Yeah. My, well, well, my kill team is Death Guard, so there you go. Okay. Um, all, right, I mean, all right, Scott. That's what I play. Scott. Death Plague Marines. That's right. Hey, what? Scott, uh, why don't you answer this paintbrush question that he asked us <laughs> that you've been uh, diverting from? Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know. Paintbrushes don't cost very much. Um, even the nice ones don't cost very much uh, based on how long they last. So, for, for beginners and uh, professionals alike, I, I think I'd always recommend the same brushes, um, which are the Raphael A404s. And if it was a beginner, I mean, also maybe if it was someone who was pretty good at miniature painting, I would just give that recommendation also with a little bit of a brush care video or like a tutorial. Like here are some basic things you should not do with any brush that you own. And as long as you follow these rules, this paintbrush will last you anywhere from six months to a year, depending heavily on how much you paint. Um, so I would always say that one. That's my favorite one. And I've used it for the last four years and it's never really let me down. Yeah, and I think an important thing that um, most folks don't realize is they have unrealistic expectations of their tools. And when this comes to brushes, a big thing is unrealistic expectations of how long it's supposed to last. 
Yeah. Like we assume if I buy a $15 paintbrush, that means that's going to last me until I die. Right. Like that's what that means. <laughs> and it's just not the, it's not the truth of the matter. I mean, you think about how much money we spend on frivolous things in our lives. And if I am spending a hundred hours painting models with this one brush and it dies on me, like that feels like a good investment to me. So don't, don't do, don't worry too much about, you know, Oh gosh, you know, I need to buy another brush and it was 15 bucks. Um, I'll, I'll give another recommendation that I have, although I, I trust that that Scott's brush is good. I just recently started using Raphael and I, he's right on, like it's a legit, really, really strong brush. Um, another option is for the cost of one Raphael, you can go to Hobby Lobby, um, and you can buy a pack of synthetic brushes for $5 and there's 12 of them in there and they're all the same size and it's a great size. Um, it looks like it's a bigger size brush than you think you'll need. Um, but it's a, it's, they call it a size four on the package, but size is, is kind of regardless. But, um, the nice thing about synthetic brushes is that they're much more firm. And especially if you're getting back into the hobby or you are new to the hobby, a firm brush feels and is manipulated a little bit more like a pencil, um, or a pen. So it's a little bit easier because it's something you're more akin to using. Um, sable hair brushes are a little bit, I guess, floppier is the word. And I don't mean it in a negative sense. They just, um, they're just more reactive to the pressure that you put down. Softer. Um, yeah, sure. Soft. Softer. Softer. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the sable brushes, um, yeah, they're, they're softer, but you, you do have to care for them or you can screw up and, and destroy your $15 brush pretty easily. I did that starting out. So you learn your lesson, but with these cheap brushes, if you destroy a brush or two, I mean, it's $5 for 12, like, uh, learn my lesson, throw it in the garbage, use it for dry brushing or use it for just slopping on, uh, paint on my bases and it still has usage and I move on to the next one in the pack. So. I think either route is good, but mine is better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is how this is going to play out. All right. Yep. All right. Next question. This is going to be a fun episode. All right. Here we go. Here's a question for both of you to uh, debate about. Um, <laughs> can you tell the listeners about the types of brushes? You kind of alluded to it in the previous question. You said there's um, synthetic, there's sable, and isn't there one from a badger or something like that? Is that what's well? I think any natural hair bristle brush might be considered a sable brush, but the two categories are natural hair and synthetic. Whatever animal you decide to get your hair from, whether it's like a, a Russian weasel or like something else, uh, it's it's an actual animal. Um, so actually, that's an interesting point: is that some people prefer not to use natural hair bristle brushes because. Uh, they might be vegetarian and that goes beyond diet that might even go so far as to say, I don't want to use any product that uses an animal byproduct. Um, so yeah, we have synthetic and natural, which is basically how I would break it down. I don't think it's anything more than that. Well, it's actually so, vegan, not vegetarian. I'm sorry. Web. You're right. But uh, <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and a, a sable is from the weasel family. Um, so they're little Russian weasels. And a badger is also from the weasel family. So you were correct. And Scott was wrong. So oh, wow. continue. <laughs> Why do you know so much about rodents? Weasels aren't rodents. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now that we know the difference between the two types of brushes, uh, what are the benefits of each? Um, ahead, well, since, since I did the sable one, I'll talk about sable. You can talk about synthetic. Um 
So typically the benefit of sables that they're more durable uh, provided you know how to take care of them and you know the basic rules to not ruin the brushes so they'll last you a little bit longer um, they don't have as much snap like john was mentioning um, which is a good thing or a bad thing depending on what you want out of a brush you might want a softer brush or you might want one with uh, a little bit more rigidity to the bristles um, you know, some people might say that like the paint wicks better off of the paintbrush, but I haven't noticed that. Really, the most important thing to me is just the durability, how long it's going to last me. Yeah, and by durability, you mean it keeps its point really well for a long time. Correct. Yep, yep. Um, and this, uh, the synthetic brushes, the downside there is their, um, their tip will curl into like a fish hook shape um, pretty quickly compared to a sable hairbrush. Um, again, that's why if you're going to use synthetic, I recommend you get them because they're economical. And when it starts to hook on you, you either take advantage of that hooking to get into creases or use it, you know, to your advantage, or you throw it away or use it as a dry, dry brush or whatever, and you just get a new one. So the, the cost factor, um, they will still keep their tip. I found the cheap ones for about two to three minis. And that's me putting a good amount of time on each money mini. So, um, but yeah, I think it's economical. Again, if you're used to using something like a pen or a pencil, you'll you'll be able to work with these a lot a lot easier right from the get go. Uh, that said, if I think the biggest recommendation is, is pick one, try it out, and then three to six months from now, buy one of the other ones. If you started with synthetic, buy a sable. And then try and then compare and contrast. Give yourself a good amount of time with each one and see which one you nav you naturally kind of navigate towards and then you'll make an informed decision based on yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now here's here's probably gonna be a hardball question some people might think, but the hobby industry, like pretty much every industry, has a lot of name brands that want to sell you their brush. And you guys have your recommendations and it's none of them. Is there a specific reason why? None of the name brands really hit the table. Are there name brands you would recommend over others just because someone might be listening going, well, I've, I've bought Games Workshop Citadel brushes all my life, or I bought Army Painter brushes, or X and Y and Z. Like, why shouldn't I buy those brushes? Or, or you know, you know what I'm getting at. Like, is there a recommendation you would have outside of, or I guess inside of a brand name company that, you know, someone might be able to use and it's worth their time and money? Or is it just, hey, go for the ones you, you recommended early on and just kind of bypass all the name brand stuff because it's not as relevant. Yeah, I think one thing that all of the companies that make brushes for miniature painters get wrong is the size. So it's just like everyone thinks I'm painting a miniature, so I need a tiny brush, but really that's impeding your ability to paint a miniature. What you want is a brush with a super sharp tip, um, but you, ne you don't necessarily want it to be tiny. Um, because the smaller it is, the less capacity for moisture and paint it has, and the faster it dries. So if you have a bigger belly brush, like a Raphael 1 or a 2, with a nice sharp tip, you can like base coat for a really long time or layer for a really long time without having to worry about that stuff drying out or your tip drying out and becoming hard. Um, so that's kind of my take on, on like Army Painter or Games Workshop or Tamiya or whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, I... I think that's a great point. Um, I think another thing is um, these 
name brands, um, they're using either sable brushes or synthetic brushes too. That's just the type of material they're made from. So they'll, you can buy these uh, from all the brands. Um, but typically, like anything, you, you kind of pay a little bit of a premium for a customized product as opposed to buying a general product that wasn't marketed towards a specific uh, segment of our population. So it, when we have so many of the tools at our disposal that have been around for, for forever from companies that have been making them for fine art, um, the fine art crowd, um, that we can also use those same things. Oftentimes we're paying less because we're not just buying a name brand version of it that was marketed toward to us because we're all chumps and we'll buy it because it says it's for miniature painting. So we assume that that means it's better for miniature painting when in reality it's not. Okay. I mean, that's, that's good to know because that's a, a big hurdle I had to get over when I started. Cause it was like, well, games workshop makes minis. Their brushes have to be good. Right. Yeah. So I bought all games workshop and I mean, it got the job done, but when I went to Hobby Lobby and found some of the more expensive and nicer brushes, it was like, I, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's not to say that people are doing it wrong if they own games for no brushes either. You know, like if they work for you, that doesn't mean, oh, there's something way better and you'd be a way better painter if you used a different brush. That's right. A, that's a, maybe a topic for a different day, but um, that tool is not going to make or break the, the quality of your paint job and you getting better as a painter. So just don't give it too much of a factor in your, that whole process. Yeah, I completely agree. I like some of the the bigger, fatter Citadel brushes for like uh, dry brushing or base coating a lot more than anything else I've ever used. It was just one of those weird things. And I know people have brought it up like, you know, may, maybe your shop only sells army painter and you're like, well, that's what I have. And then you move and it's like, wait, there's other things. It's like, yeah, like knowing what kind of brushes are out there, knowing what they each do and like learning this kind of information is just so valuable because when you don't know it, and then you learn it. And you're like, wow, everything can change and your your skill can evolve and you can become a better painter, um, which leads me to one of the biggest questions among the community, and that's brush care. We, you guys have talked about it. We talked about it on the show, but um, why don't we talk a little bit about proper brush care and improper brush care? Because there's a million things on the Internet that say do it this way and a million things on the Internet that say do it this other way. And I'd love to get, you know, from the horse's mouth, from the professionals, you know, what is proper brush care for your brush so that you can, you know, keep it alive as long as possible? Yeah. Did you hear that, John? We're professionals. <laughs> hey, I'll expect a check in the mail. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I can say what to not do with your brushes. Um Typically, you want to avoid getting paint in the ferrule or ferrule, I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, of your brush. That's the metal part uh, where all of the bristles kind of converge to like one location. What can happen is the paint gets in there and it dries. It can start to separate the bristles of your brush. Um, that's not what you want. So uh, you want to avoid that. And ways you can avoid that is like when you, if you've been painting with a certain paint in uh, your brush for a long time, you rinse out your brush and kind of reload it back up because over time the the paint will kind of wick into the uh, the ferrule or ferrule. Uh, that's one big one. Um, another big one is to always pull with the brush, not push with it ever. Um, and a lot of people will say, 
although I have never formally tested this, I'm always kind of wary of miniature painter claims that you want to store your brush on its side um, or with the brush cap on with the, the bristles pointing down. And the reason why is because you don't want moisture to run into the, into the ferrule and, and kind of deteriorate the adhesive inside of it. Now, I don't, I've never done any testing, so I don't know if that has any weight, um, but there it is. What are some things you can do to wow. keep your brushes nice, Johnny boy? Wow. Oof. Apparently, I'm doing it all wrong because I got water in my ferrule. <laughs> um, See? I don't know if that's actually true, so don't, don't call me. <laughs> um, I'd say a big one is when you're, you have your water cup and you're like rinsing out your brush in between colors or whatever, do not put your brush all the way to the bottom of the water cup and, and slosh it around so you're smashing kind of the brush into the bottom of the water cup. That can ruin your bristles and your tip. Um, that's a big one. There is stuff called uh, paintbrush soap. And there are different brands. There are now some fancy name brand ones that are just for mini painting. But there are also, you know, you go to your regular art supply store and you can get brush soap there too. Um, I, I always put brush soap on my brush um, at the end of the painting session. Unless sometimes you can like physically see like paint dried in the bristles of your brushes. Then I'll run it through the soap real quick and rinse it out and actually use my fingernails to kind of scrape it off. Um, so yeah, after you're done with the session, I would say put a little brush soap on there, uh, rinse it out, kind of get it smooth, get it back to a tip again. That'll keep your tip longer instead of that curling or that fraying that you're going to get. I guess that's a, another big one. Scotty covered all the big ones too. Yeah. And then there's one last thing, although to be honest, this hasn't really ever worked for, worked for me a whole lot, but you can try it out for yourself for natural hair, uh, brushes specifically, there's brush restorer. Um, which will apparently dislodge dried acrylic paint in your bristles um, from areas that are otherwise unaccessible um, and maybe restore some life to some brushes that are a little bit dead. But you can't use it for synthetic brushes, or so I understand, because uh, it has solvents in it that will likely melt or damage the bristles in a synthetic brush. Sounds like linger Very interesting. Like, like, like it's not a real thing and they're just making you think that you need it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Like Roger Rabbit, it's the dip. You just put the wrong thing. It's like, eh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just brush melts away. You're like, well, that wasn't a real brush. Apparently, they lied to me. <laughs> All right, well, not buying from them anymore. All right. So let's move along to paints. This is another topic that people ask all the time. Do I buy Citadel? Do I buy Vallejo? Do I buy, you know, the Army Painter games? Like there's there's an infinite amount of paints on the market. And once again, you guys are using a lot more paints than the average individual. So for people who are getting started, I know you guys did a YouTube video on um, some starter sets that you opened up and you talked about, you know, the value and the pigment and all that stuff. So, um, you know, we'll we'll use that in one of the show note links to reference if someone's looking just to buy a kit to start. But for overall, like, you know, you're only buying a couple pots. You don't necessarily need the entire kit. What are some of the paints you recommend for, once again, the newer people or people getting back into the hobby who are kind of reassessing, you know, my paints are dry. I need to buy new paint pots. What should I get? Yeah, I think John is pretty is a good candidate to answer this question because the video you referenced, he was the one that did all the testing with those sets. Um, so, John, what do you think? 
<laughs> Way to pass the buck, Scott. Scott, yeah, I, Scott I, I doesn't know. I have an opinion, but I want to respect the knowledge, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. I think if, if you want my true, honest answer to this question, um, the answer is whatever paints excites you to actually get at the table and paint. And what I mean, oh, by, okay. and, and what I mean by that is, is let's say we'll use the Death Guard example. And I go to my store and I want to paint my guys that look like the box because they look amazing. So there's Death Guard Green. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to convince you to buy a Vallejo paint that looks close to Death Guard Green if that's what excites you. Because at the end of the day, how we get better at painting or how we end up with having cool looking models at the tables because we actually are excited to paint. And we sit down and we put the effort in and we're really proud of the work we did. And that fuels us to paint the next mini. Preach. So. the praise of jesus um uh, so if if you're excited about a color if you're excited about the box art um if you're excited about an inspiration you get in nature or or a certain crazy color of a snake or something whatever you know or some art online that inspires you go with that because if it gets you painting your your paint's going to be great honestly any of the mini painting companies their paint is solid their paint is again is not going to be what's going to keep you from fielding painted minis so go with what's fun that's that's my answer drop the mic go scott all right all right so (laughs) yeah that's a that's a fantastic answer really like whatever you have access to and i don't know whatever is easiest like a lot of people love to just spiral out of control like due to gear acquisition syndrome they want to figure out the best brush the best primer you know i mean you understand this you know (laughs) yeah they have bad gas it's like it's rumbling in the tummy you got none of that but people just want to figure out the best of everything you know and and so if you just take a step back there's golden there's a golden answer right like tell us, just tell us the answer, Scott. Tell us the right answer. There is no, there is no golden answer. What I will say is, I've been using the Scale Seventy Five paint brand for like over three years, and it's a paint brand that I don't think I'd recommend to a beginner because I feel like there's, uh, it's a lot easier to paint with a paint brand that has a little bit of a satin sheen to it for a, a number of reasons. One, it's easier to get a more of a poppy color. It's easier to work with paint that's a little bit more satin in terms of blending. And also they take a wash a lot better, which is a, a pretty typical beginner technique. So I, I don't have one that's like the perfect paint brand. I haven't done enough side-by-side comparisons, but Having used Scale 75 exclusively for almost three years, I would say probably avoid those as a beginner. <laughs> that's that's good news. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about the different types of paint, you said that there's like a, a sheen and there's a matte. So I've noticed that like Games Workshop is usually pretty sheen mm-hmm. and something like Creature Caster is kind of matte. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any relevance to those types of paints? Like, is one better than the other, or is it just purely how the model looks, or is there any kind of um, technique you would want to use with one and not the other? Mm. Um, I think maybe with, uh, you know, I don't think there's particular techniques that are serviced better with one or the other. Maybe with matte paint uh, ranges, they tend to perform better when you highlight miniatures zenithally. That is to say, you highlight a miniature as though it is under the sun when the sun is at its zenith or its highest point in the sky 
uh, an alternative to zenithal highlighting would be something like general highlighting or something you see uh, GW do with their paint team, which is just like layering and edge highlighting. Um, maybe you could make that kind of argument. Um, you asked why one paint brand is one way and one is the other. And it's because of just the way that the, they compose their paint. They'll use more of a matte medium and less of a satin medium. So it's a decision they're making uh, knowingly uh, based on certain information that they have about their typical users. Yeah. And right now there's a lot of, I guess, hype is the word around more matte paints yeah. that, that makes them better, but nobody really has described why, <laughs> as far as I know. Um, the, the one thing with, with a matte paint, just like if you painted your walls in your house matte, um, it, the reflection isn't there, so the reflection from the lights in your room aren't, aren't like shimmering off that wall. So you have more control over the highlights that you pre- you put on a model because your ambient light in the room isn't also creating like shiny highlights from your satin paint to make it look like it might be better painted than it is or f- kind of cover if you didn't get your highlights just right. So a matte paint, if you're really good, a matte paint will showcase that you're good. If you're not really good, a matte paint will showcase that you're not really good. So. Be careful there. Mm. So I want to quick jump in before I move on to the next question and say that John saying that is probably going to make some people feel like, oh man, matte paints really test your metal as a miniature painter. And it's like a measure of how good you are if you can like like lasso the matte paint ranges. And I just want to like say like calm down. That's totally not the case. In fact, <laughs> having used these ranges for such a long time, I actually don't like them. And I'm looking for a range that has more vibrancy, more of a satin sheen, um, less of a matte one, because I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty bored with having to deal with with matte paint ranges. It makes miniature painting a little bit more tedious than it already is. So just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Well, that's that's fair. It doesn't mean your end product is is a better looking product if you used a matte paint too. Like if the same great painter painted one mini in matte and the same mini in satin, that doesn't mean the matte one's going to be a better looking final product. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. It's more about the skill of the painter and less about what specific paint you use. Yes. Because a, a good painter can just make something look amazing with whatever they're given. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm overwhelmed, and I'm not a new painter. This is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be. A, all right, people, don't think about every one of these, you know, in-depth questions every time you go into your local hot store. Your brain, brain will like melt out your ears. <laughs> Just floop. Like, wow, what's that? Uh, don't worry about it. So, so moving on. Now that we've kind of addressed some of the the beginner stuff. I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the more advanced stuff. So um, terms I've heard like OSL, um, giving your model like some of the like the glowing effects. Like what are what are terms that are used amongst, you know, your guys' painting groups that may or may not be well known by, you know, beginner painters? Because I know OSL is something simulated light. Yeah. What is object source lighting? So Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, this is actually pretty perfect because I have a video coming out called Miniature Painting Vocabulary. Um, mm. So I have a lot of these words already figured out and written down in a script that's right in front of me. So we can go over some oh. of them. Uh, but watch. How convenient. How convenient. Just a little, little plug right there, you know. Uh, 
Yay! <laughs> John, why don't you start with OSL? I, had a diff- I actually had another one, but now you're going to use that one next. <laughs> and I'm going to come back to me and I'm going to be like, bah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So object source lighting just means that there is a physical object somewhere on your mini or on the base that he's on um, that is actually emitting light. So an easy example of this would be if your dude is holding a flashlight or a lantern, right? That if, if they are lit up, light is coming off of that object which means that that object is then casting light, highlights, and then conversely shadows because it is also a source of light. If there is no other source of light on the miniature, typically we just say, well, the light is coming from the sun above and the top of the miniature, typically his head, is kind of the brightest and it's lighter up there than it is under his chin because it's shadowy down there. So when you're working with object source lighting, you're basically adding more variables in your math equation and you're still trying to get a right answer at the end, I guess is the way to put it is that you're making it more, you're adding more stuff in your soup, but you still want the soup to not taste like crap at the end. So you're just making it a little bit more complicated, but there are some tricks to it. Um, in fact, you know, a great way to, to kind of get a wrap your mind around it is just go out there and search online or on Instagram for people that do like hashtag OSL. And you'll find some great pictures of miniatures. You'll be like, ah, okay. So that's why that guy's, you know, glowing power sword now on his arm and on his shoulder pad. It's, it's, there's a little bit of green there. And now I, my, my eye tells me it's because that sword is glowing. So that's, that's kind of the quick and dirty version of what OSL is. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think I want to start with a word that's like everyone thinks they know what it is, but I think it means a lot more. And that's the word contrast. Um, so a very, very typical line of feedback that someone will feed you is that your piece needs more contrast. And like 95% of the time, it's true. Um, but what does that mean? And, and what else can that mean? Um, how do you get contrast? Typically, contrast is understood to be the overall difference between your brightest highlight and your darkest shadow. So if you want to increase your contrast, you need to increase how dark your darkest shadow is, or I'm sorry, make it darker, um, or make your brightest highlight brighter. But there's there's a little bit more to this than just like the overall brightest value and darkest value. It's also how much of the brightest value there is and how much of the darkest value there is. So like if you if someone says you need more contrast and like you already have black shadows, um, you need a bigger area of shadow to increase contrast or another way you could increase contrast is with, with uh, finish. So like I recently painted Jon Snow, he's all black. And one way that I got contrast was with glossy shadows and matte highlights. So there was a contrast between the finish of the paint. And then finally you can get contrast uh, via color. So if you look at a color wheel, you you have typical colors, um, colors that on opposite sides of the color wheels have more contrast. So red and green. So if you want to have more contrast for a green thing you're painting, maybe you'll put a little bit of warmth in the shadow and that'll increase the overall contrast. It's already black. We can't get any black. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you laughed. Okay. Try to get that joke in there, but you didn't want to breathe for, oh, for four minutes. No, so. no, 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 no. Yeah, absolutely not. What was the what was the the term you wanted to go over? <laughs> NMM, baby. No, dude, no, that was my next one. All right, now you can go. 
There's a question you have to answer about this, though, and that question is, is why NMM when TMM is so much better? I've been getting cool. that comment so much lately, so please, wow. please break it down for wow. people. Okay, so to, to back it up, NMM is a, a phrase often used, and NMM stands for non-metallic metal. And TMM stands for true metallic metal. The difference is if you go to the store and you buy Gehenna's gold, which is a gold, I think, from Games Workshop, that's a gold paint, right? So it has gold metallic flakes in it that they shimmer. And when you put the gold paint on, it looks like gold because it's got the little shimmery flakes in it. And it's always it's about the right kind of color as gold as well. Uh, Non-metallic metal is where you're not taking metallic paint. Um, You're just taking like. For gold, you're taking yellows and oranges and browns all the way up to pure white or close to pure white like an ivory um, to create that that gold. Um, and the reason you do that is because you as a painter have so much more control over the final product of does it read to my eye that it's actually metal. Because metals, this is, well, this is such a long kind of, process to talk about what makes metals metals and what makes our eyes interpret things as metal short version um having high contrast so going from really really bright points to really really dark right close to each other and not a lot of mid-tones of kind of that yellowy brown that our eye sees as gold and very starkly in addition metals in the real world are really weird in that they reflect light the opposite of non-reflective surfaces so if you had um, uh, like a like a sheet a, a plate you know square um, and you're standing outside and at the sun if it was made out of flannel um, it would be brightest at the top of the square and it would be darkest at the bottom and if it was actually made out of uh, steel it would be the opposite so. NMM, non-metallic metal, is tricky to pull off because you, your brain has to kind of deconstruct it and figure out how it works. Um, and so that's when you hear, oh, NMM, NMM, it makes you a better painter. It's harder to pull off. It's harder to learn than just throwing some gold, throwing an Agrax or a shade, and then you know doing it again. But your final product will show how you wanted the light to show on that miniature a little bit better. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, one question that people are going to ask is, is like, okay, why don't I just take all the knowledge that I have about how light reflects off of a metallic surface and just use reflective paint following that same logic that you would follow with non-reflective paint? That's a question I get a lot, and it's a super fair question. It's like, because, you know, why, why, why bother with, with, with working with that kind of matte unreflective paint to get that sheen look um, when I can just work with the reflective stuff and apply all the knowledge that I know. Um, and I think the answer to this question is, is have you ever used TMM paint um, in an NMM way? It's like a lot, a lot more inconvenient to do because for some reason, every true metallic metal paint that I've used I can't get the kind of control and accuracy that I can get with the typical like flat or, or paint without reflective uh, pigments in it. So that level of control needed for putting in those super tiny highlights in those really obscure areas uh, is achieved via using that paint and not so easily with reflective paint. And that's not saying that we want the listeners to always you do NMM and never use 
like like metallic paint. That's not the case at all. You can make some really nice looking miniatures with the metallic paints, and mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say don't use that. It all makes you a pleb or something. Like that. That's not the case. No, no. That's very interesting. Um, I mean, there's just there's so many things to learn, and it's really fun to like listen to people who know more than you do. It's like, ah, did we okay, lose you? That's no, no. I have so many more questions now because it's like there's all these decision trees branching off. Like, where we go next? What's the next question? And I think this is going to be a fun one to talk about because you guys have mentioned it multiple times. And when I was at Adepticon, I had uh, the pleasure of talking to and working with some other professional painters, and um, this term kept coming up and. I've done some research on it, but I'd like to talk more about it, and that's color theory. So um, for those of you who don't know, we're going to be talking a little bit about the psychology of colors and how your brain reacts to colors and also how your eyes react to colors. And like, like you were saying, the way metallics work and the way your eye processes a model with a specific type of paint is relevant to getting a type of look that you're going for. Um, is color theory something you guys use when you're painting your models or is that, you know, maybe not nearly as um, popular? I mean, cause some people like it, some people don't, it's just one of those things that's, it's a resource that's out there, but doesn't necessarily mean you have to utilize mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I don't know. Scott doesn't follow the rules. So I don't know. <laughs> what are the rules? Oh, wait. Okay. I, sorry. I thought you meant by the rules. Like you had to answer the question first. No, me first. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, whenever I paint, I don't, I don't ever think like, okay, I need to come up with a shadow color. I need to come up with a color for this uh, new thing uh, that I'm painting right now. I need a, I need some inspiration. I never fall to color theory to help me make that decision. I kind of just imagine the color on the miniature, and I, I kind of just figure out in my head if I think that would look good or that wouldn't look good. Um, Maybe I'm taking inspiration from a palette from something else um, to kind of, kind of, kind of guide me into what colors to use. But I never, I never look to color theory to to make those decisions. And I feel like people can tend to use it as a as a scapegoat sometimes for coming up with their own schemes. It's like, well, I can't paint anything other than what you know, heavy metal does and what the box art is because I don't understand color theory enough. Like that's the only way to come up with a scheme, but I don't find myself really using it very often to kind of make those choices. So, uh, there's a, like a long standing um, fact that I live by and I've been doing it in regards to co- color theory since uh, just now when I came up with it. Um, <laughs> and that would be, <laughs> and that would be, don't worry about color theory when you're trying to figure out what you want your major color on the mini to be, or even your top two colors. If you're excited about having this, you know, crazy, awesome teal armor on, on the mini, don't think, well, I also can't have red on his sash because I have teal here or whatever. Don't worry about that for your major colors. But when it comes down to small accent colors, then maybe, oh, I do have a bunch of green here. Let's see it with some form of red and his, you know, his bracelet or whatever ankle, whatever um, that, that I'll have that. I'll, I'll tie those in. What I end up using color theory on more is when I'm looking at um, adding some interest to shadows and highlights. So if, uh, for example, if I am painting something orange and the complementary 
color of orange would be blue. I will add a dark blue in making the shadows and it just, it's more pleasant to the eye to have blue in that orange shadow. So I use it to help kind of make secondary decisions, but I, I don't often use it to, to like guide me from step one of painting. Yeah. Let's, I think let's answer the question or try to answer the question that, uh, is spawned from this color theory discussion. And that's like, what color do I paint my miniatures or how do I make decisions about what color certain things should be? I think that's the question that everyone wants answered, at least in my experience. And I, I think, you know, it's all about where you find your inspiration and there are so many places where you can find inspiration. Uh, and you know, I, I find it in metal album artwork. I find it in graffiti. I find it in video games. I find it in, um, other miniatures obviously that i i might see on instagram or like other forms of art like 2d art that i might see on instagram or facebook and like you know if something if something catches your eye it's like whoa that looks kind of interesting like i never would have thought that the color like the a mint color and a peach color would go together in that way you know take that picture save it in a directory on your computer and then whenever you need to make a decision kind of just flip through this directory of inspiration and kind of see Oh, that worked there for him or her. I wonder if it worked for me. Um, I like that approach a lot better than having to like refer to a rule set. Uh, people want rule sets. They want something to make a decision for them. But I think if you operate from what you like and what you think looks good, you end up with a product that's more in keeping with, uh, you know, uh, with you and then you start to develop a personal style, what you think looks good versus someone else. I think that's really important for everyone's growth. I think that's really cool. I, I like those answers. Um, going back to what colors work and what colors don't, and this is a part of color theory. Um, can you talk a little bit about like complementary colors? And then when you were talking about, hey, I have a blue and orange would go well with it. You know, what what are some of the rules for color so that someone doesn't go, well, I just want, you know, pink and green and red and yellow on this model. And, you know, some places it may or may not work just because the way colors interact and mix well or do not mix well with each other okay um well in terms of mixing if you mix colors that are on opposite sides of the color wheel you'll get grays you'll get desaturated tones so if you mix a red with a green or a blue with an orange or a yellow with a purple you'll get a desaturated color often called a gray um it looks like poop, looks like poop uh, but not not all the time. Like if you're actually looking for an interesting gray color, that can be a fun way to make them, but it's certainly going to kill your color. Um, another thing yeah. that people don't really think about is when you mix white into a color or you mix black into a color, you are desaturating it. And you may not actually want that in a lot of cases. Say for instance, if you're highlighting red, um, mixing a white into it will get you a pink and a little bit of pink is okay, but too much pink is going to desaturate your red so much that it will look like a scarlet or like like a pink um so those are some kind of thoughts about mixing colors and what will happen as in, in regards to rules uh, i'll i'll shamelessly give this to john because i don't know if i have any <laughs> oh well i my answer to this was from a video i did like my first video i did of scott's last year about this time and i said in art there are no rules so don't don't get too hung up on feeling like I'm doing it wrong and so everyone's going to laugh at me or something. They're all going <laughs> to laugh at you. Like nobody's going to do that. <laughs> like um, 
it, you can for like a dollar fifty buy a cool color wheel at like your local craft store, hobby store, art store, and keep that in your by your paint area if you want. If you want, kind of like to feel like you need a little bit of help or a guiding point or something to like get you inspired on what other colors to add, you can have that color wheel there and just kind of see whatever's opposite on the color wheel. Those are going to be those complementary colors. And at least kind of give you a, a point like, ah, oh, gosh, I got a lot of cool ultramarine blue here. I want to have a, his, the stock of his rifle to be something weird, like he painted it to look cool. Like what would be cool with that? Ah, oh, it looks like the complementary color is orange. Let me see what cool oranges I have, if any of those jump out at me. So it just kind of helped you along the path of, of that. Um, yeah, I guess that's all I got you to say know what? about that. I came up with a little <laughs> bit of a rule. that I, this, is, this is kind of a technique that I kind of lean on very often. Um, oftentimes, uh, the majority of a model that I paint will be cold tones. So the color wheel is also split in half. Uh, one half is warm tones, one half is cold tones, leaning more towards blue, more towards red on the other side. And oftentimes I will say the most of this model is going to be cold tones. And then I will draw emphasis to something I want to draw emphasis to by painting it a warm color. And then that pops out of the miniature. So for instance, I painted a emperor's champion i believe it's called uh for the black templar space marine army and i painted all of his power armor um in a cold tone and space marines are mostly power armor and so i made his sword uh kind of like a an edge highlighted red look and that made it really pop off and i did copper nmm on his shoulder and that made that pop off a lot more too because it was surrounded by a canvas of cold colors so if you want to try out like a like a trick i guess you could call it that's one that I use uh, pretty often. Okay, very cool. Uh, here's an easy question. This shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, do you paint your models on sprue or do you like half model them or do you like, how do you go about painting your models? Because they all look really fantastic. And that's a question I see a million times <laughs> a day. Do you do it on sprue? Do you do it off sprue? Do you like do the legs and then the torso later? Like, how Never do you guys do paint? It on sprue. <laughs> There, so John said no <laughs> rules. I mean, there's a rule. I don't. I don't understand how you paint yeah. on sprue because, like, you cut it off and you have a giant gray chunk on it. Yeah. Like, how do you deal with that? Savages. <laughs> Savages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, John's probably different, maybe, but I I hate painting things in parts. Uh, so whenever possible, I'll put the full model together. And, you know, everyone's crying out right now, like, but then you can't reach all the parts. And it's like, most likely, if you can't reach those parts, they're kind of hard to see. And no one's going to look at them. Like, everyone's going to look at the face of your model, the chest of your model, like the weapon of your model. Those are pretty much always easy to get to. So don't fret too much about those hard to reach areas. Yeah. Right. Exactly. see it. Yeah. What color is his armpit? What is it? What yeah. is it? That's actually the first valuable thing Scott has said tonight. And that is... Uh, is that if you can't if you can't paint it then you can't see it anyway so kill me kill me (laughs) um i'd say honestly if like okay so i don't know about scott if scott actually plays games or he just paints but um um i so i play some games and when i'm playing painting my stuff that are for my armies or my squads or whatever um i always put them all together 
um, and then I paint them. And often, most of the times too, I'll actually put them on the base and I'll put their, I'll like make their base first because that way I don't have to like, I really hate it when I've painted a dude separate than his base and then I got to like pin him in and glue him down and like, because there's rocks on the base, then he's like not on there flush and he's kind of wobbly, like he looks like he's kind of floating, looking up a little bit. That just bugs me. So I usually recommend put them all the way together and put them on the base and do the flocking or the little grass tufts or whatever you want to put um, on the base. Um, and then you, you paint the whole thing. The, the one exception I could see is like if you really if, if you really want to get good at faces, a lot of like, for example, like Space Marines, their heads are kind of sunk into that helmet. And if they don't have their helmet on, you're dealing with like all that blue right up to like that peach chin you're going to do. And that can be really, that could be really <laughs> hard to paint a face, to be honest. Um, so you could just have that head separate, just screwed into it, uh, into a paper clip. And then you just super glue it on after the body's all done and you spray paint it or you uh, airbrushed or you dry brushed the, the blue armor. You can then pop the head in. And, uh, you know, he made your life a lot easier that way too. If you're painting, if you're painting 500 space Marines, okay. do not paint their heads separately or I will come and find you and glue all their heads in place <laughs> for your characters. It's fine for your characters. It's fine. Not for your normal yeah. guys. Okay. Save yourself some, some hassle. Yeah. Spoilers. If you're painting 500 dudes and doing their heads separate, you're not actually going to finish painting <laughs> true, 500 true. dudes ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've been here for a while. Let's have some fun questions. So uh, why don't you guys tell us one of either your favorite painting stories or like your worst painting story? You know, the classic, I spilled <laughs> an entire paint pot after I just bought it. And you're like, oh, and then, you know, you go back to the store and you, you rebuy it. And they're like, weren't you just here? And you're like, no, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I got I got one, Scott, yeah, you go. want to think. I have, have two that I'm trying to decide between. All right, you, 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 you go. You, go. you want me to go? I'm going. I'm going. All right. So this happened last summer. So not just this past summer, but the summer before that, I had been painting for like I don't know seven, eight months. And we've got a local game store where I'm from in Southeast Minnesota, and uh, I like to support them um, and, and you know help out when I can. And so I offered. They had kind of like a a big weekend going on a celebratory weekend going on and i they asked me if i would um teach some like beginner paint classes so or just like all right look if, like if we have people come in if you can be there for like three hours and they can come down you can give them some tips and they can paint i'm like sure i'll do that it sounds great and uh so over the course of three hours um i think i probably had about 20 30 people that came in and They'd come in and they'd either buy a mini from the store, they'd bring in their D&D &D mini, or I had a guy come in with this, you know, like a squad of Marines, and that was cool. And uh, they just wanted to get some tips. They wanted some some advice into, like, where they weren't confident on things. And I was like, sure, absolutely. Um, the actually, side note, actually, a local radio station dude came in, and, like, he was going to – he was covering the event at the store. And so the store owner came over and was like, hey um, – you should sit down and have John teach you how to paint. And this dude was like, like sports fan times 20, just dude, not at all into this <laughs> at all. And man, that was so <laughs> uncomfortable to be like, and then you see the little, you like, you got to paint the, the loop on the belt pink. And I'm like, Oh God, I hate my life right now. He did not care at all. But all right, so I'm doing that. And here's where the story gets ugly. 
I had three three teenage kids, young teens, nice boys, four of them, um, that they were played Dungeons and Dragons, and so um, I was I felt like I needed to like give the show to the to the, the radio guy because he was doing a story on this, and I'm like, I'm gonna ham it up with this guy, uh, and I let these kids, and they were going to town. I look over every now and again, and they were they're putting on paint and they were having fun and giggling. I'm like, cool. Uh, 30 minutes later, I turn around. That guy, I'm done with that guy. I turn around, see what these kids are doing. Um, I had brought my own paint for the people to use. And these kids took a Vallejo dropper bottle. Uh, and they had probably done this to about 8, 10, 12 paints. And they squeezed it out like they're in finger <laughs> painting class in kindergarten. Oh, oh I had no. a dozen empty bottles in like 30 minutes from those kids. And I'm like, you're oh. yeah. I'm like, dude, you're, you're painting oh. one dude. How did you ever think you needed like the giant ketchup splotch <laughs> of that color? Uh, My heart. So yeah, lesson learned. Oh. If you let oh. other people use your paint, keep an eye and, uh, or put the drops on yeah. yourself. <laughs> so, Oh my gosh. All right. That hurts. It hurts. And I wasn't getting paid. I did that out of the <laughs> kindness of my heart to help out the store. I wasn't getting paid to be there. They're like, hey, guys, thanks for me coming for oh three hours. This Lord. cost me $70. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's pretty sad. Um, my story is a little bit more violent. Um, <laughs> I was uh, at a <laughs> games workshop, and then I was hobbying, and an X-Acto knife rolled off of the table, and it stuck me in the thigh. So it yeah, just just fell point oh. down right into my thigh. So like you know, like, oh. like an inch deep. Um, and it was tiny, and it you know it didn't hurt immediately, Ooh. but it wouldn't stop bleeding. So I like, went into the bathroom immediately, and the employee is like a lifelong friend of mine that I have known since since fifth grade, since going to my first store. He actually moved to my area, and then I maintained a friendship with him and so he was like at the door like telling me like if it doesn't stop bleeding it's policy to call an ambulance and he's like you need to tell me what's happening and i was like uh, okay it's still bleeding and like after maybe like i don't know like five minutes or like four minutes of it not like you know stopping he called an ambulance and they came and they <laughs> tore my pants off <laughs> and like bandaged me up <laughs> so yeah that was kind of a strange scenario can we do like a CSI recreation of this for a video in a future scan? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Did you I have a question. You just you gotta you gotta take the SpongeBob guy. <laughs> like, my leg. I have a question. <laughs> like yeah. when it goes into did, the leg. Did you just like sit and stare at it for like a couple of seconds, like don't not believing that it's still there? Because <laughs> uh, that's what I would have done. I'd be like, oh. Man, yeah. So I put it down Wait, what? um on the table. It was it was cylindrical, it rolled off. Um but when it, as soon as it stuck me, it immediately fell out because the top is also kind of heavy and weighty. So it's it, yeah, it just oh, fell out, sure. and I was like, "What?" And then like my pants started to like have like this like growing like dark red spot, and I was like, "Oh, oh <laughs> it's when I oh, yeah, it's no good." Uh, how old are you, Scott? I really I, want. I was the freshman in college, so eighteen or nineteen. Oh, wow. Okay, it's, it's it's a way funnier story if you were like sixteen. You're like. I right, somebody called my mom. She's got to come pick me up at the hospital. Yeah, dude, I was so scared. I was gonna have to like pay for the the ambulance. I was like, don't don't call one. Like, I don't I don't have health insurance right now. Like, it's gonna totally screw me. Um, but 
luckily I didn't have to pay for it. So. <laughs> were your were your parents such big jerks that they didn't cover you on uh, health insurance? Because they can't till you're 24, oh, you know. Man, I think this is a longer story. I think I think I had it through college, and then like my college changed its policy, and then I didn't have it anymore. I didn't care to get it from someone, you know, stupid 19 year old. Yeah, who needs right. insurance? Yeah. Definitely. Same, same old, same old. Well, were those answers what you were thinking you were going to give? <laughs> no, that was a way worse. All right, so then I got a question for you. What would you rather have? The uh, 12 of your paints completely emptied by 13-year-old boys or an exacto <laughs> knife in your thigh? Oh. <laughs> um, those are both equally painful. Uh, probably the paints. Oh. <laughs> yes, mine was worse. <laughs> I'm not a fan of pain or like looking at a giant thing sticking out of my leg going, oh, yeah. very natural response. I guess what we learned, like you just wait, yeah, we like, learned he doesn't have health insurance either, okay. Scott. So moral yeah, story. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, even if I did have health insurance, you're basically asking, <laughs> yeah, do I want to pay yeah. for pain or get stabbed in the leg? True. I'll, yeah. I'll pay for pain. Yeah, you're, I guess you're paying for the, <laughs> I'll keep my the, leg. the, you know, your health insurance premiums and stuff anyway, which is probably more expensive than the pain. So, all right. Pretty yeah. sure 12 plus and, and it's an easy sell. You, know, you go to your wife, honey, these kids, they, they destroyed my paint. Well, what are you going to do about right. it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, honey. Like <laughs> the, the easiest right. response ever. Just go buy some paint. Leave me alone. Sweet. That's how it works. I may or may not Too buy shit. more paint. You just, you just buffer that Darn. number a couple of pots, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they they destroyed <laughs> thirty paints. <laughs> they threw them in the trash. Couldn't I couldn't yeah, I couldn't yeah. get to them. They fast incinerated enough. the trash and then it, it was throughout the store on fire. <laughs> and then a riot proceeded to happen. Okay, too much. <laughs> and then you know I just needed a hundred dollars in new paints. Is that cool? <laughs> sure, sure why not. <laughs> okay, uh, last question, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. But I think this is also a very important question. You know, we talked about paints, we talked about brushes, but it's going to be really hard to paint your models if you can't see them. So there's clearly lighting that you're going to need for your you know, paint studio, paint station, your table, wherever you're painting. Are there any types of lights or bulbs or brands that you would recommend for people just because it doesn't really matter how new or old you are to the hobby, you need light. And each person has their own setup, their own likes, their own dislikes. Um, But I'd love to hear what you guys prefer since, you know, you're painting lots of models, you're doing a lot of fine detail. You're working with colors, faces, eyes, all kinds of things. So you definitely have to have quality lighting for your setup. John, what do you use? I use what you told me to use. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Actually, that's my actual answer. So So, I'm going to punt. I'm going to punt on this one. (laughs) Right. That's a good question to ask. Um, So since I make YouTube videos and I paint miniatures, the light that I use for miniature painting is not normal. Um, but if you're looking for a normal, uh, option, a pretty typical one that's really cheap is to get the Ikea lamps. Um, uh, they're called tertial or tertial. I can't remember, uh, what the exact word is, but they're like, they're eight or nine bucks a pop and get two of them. Um, and then you can throw some ot light bulbs in there, some 25 watt CFL ot light bulbs, and that'll be good. 
What John uses are 40-watt Alzol bulbs, which are also very good, nice and accurate color. Um, but they're also the brightness of the sun, um, and they're right by your face. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. And so yes. like, if you get used to it, it's okay, but maybe just start out with some 25-watt hot light bulbs. Yeah, you don't ever look directly at them unless you would never want to see anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you get a tan while you're painting? Uh <laughs> You know, it's, you kind of have browner skin. So. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on the bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think one thing to note, Scott, do you want to specify in what you mean that the, about the color of the bulb, how yeah, that matters? Sure. Um, so lights are rated by uh, CRI, which is essentially like a, a, a light quality um, rating. Um so some crappy LEDs and crappy CFLs will have spikes in certain color spectrum. So they'll make like your reds look more saturated or your greens look like more bright. Um, they'll just be poorer quality lights. So there there are lights that are better quality and they have a, typically a higher CRI. So if you ever see on Amazon, like things like advertising, their CRI, typically a value of 90 or higher is really good. It goes from zero to 100. Um, so Alzol is a great brand. Um, it's like a, it's like a prosumer cinema brand. Um, light is a hobby brand. Uh, people probably have heard of Otlight lamps and stuff like that. It typically makes some pretty good, uh, quality CFL light bulbs as well. Um, but yeah, just kind of pay attention to that CRI value. Yep. That's a really important one. I think, um, Otlight makes their own like portable lights too. So if like you don't have a permanent painting spot at home, um, the Otlights we should get for about 30 bucks on Amazon, really, really high quality, um, bulb and it kind of nice and folds up so you can like put it away and store it off the, the table easy uh, you can take it with you if you go paint down at the hobby shop uh, you go to a convention um, you can bring that hot light with and it doesn't take up much space and it's got a really high quality bulb included in your initial mm, purchase yes i want to get sponsored by hot light <laughs> what, yeah, what a great yeah, sales right. pitch. <laughs> that was impressive <laughs> good shoes everyone <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm so grateful and so thankful for both of your gentlemen's evening. Um, before we get out of here, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to talk about? You know, once again, where can people find you? Uh, I don't know. Give us a preview. What's coming up next? You said you had a video with all these uh, new terms and things like, you know, hype, hype us up. What's uh, what's the deal? Where can we find you? What's coming? Sure. Yeah. Um, you can find my channel on youtube.com slash miniac and, uh, couple of videos that are coming uh, down the pipe. Uh, one about everything that I learned at Adepticon and competing in Crystal Brush and also one about uh, miniature vocabulary. There's, uh, I think I have 20 terms that are typically used in a lot of conversations. And I wanted to kind of just do a video so everyone could kind of get up to the same level of kind of basic understanding about all those terms. Um, I have an Instagram account. Um, you can find it linked in all my videos and also on my YouTube channel. I'm also on Facebook as well. Um, things are also linked via my YouTube channel. Where can we find you, John? Boof. Apparently uh, at the Otlight aisle at uh, Walmart. <laughs> I'll be the guy wearing the shirt and giving free samples. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Hey man, you want some Otlight? Scott and I just recently... Um, Entered in or dipped our toe in the water of podcasts as well. So we got a season zero, three episodes. Uh, you can find that on Scott's Miniac channel on YouTube. And we're testing out some other uh, locales to put the, the podcast and 
that was quite the foray. Um, we're not sure if we're going to continue that or not. So if you check it, if you, you check should. it out, it was good. It was oh, really thank good. You. Thank if you. you. If you check it out, give us your um, give us your feedback on that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, you can find me on Instagram. I have an Instagram where I post some of my work, most of my work on there, and it's my last name and my first name. Put please put it in the show notes because. My name's weird to spell, but it's Ninas John, N-I-N-A-S-J-O-N. That's it. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, we would love to have you on again if you ever uh, have a spare moment and you'd like to come on a podcast and talk about stuff. And yeah, if you're listening and you haven't checked it out, this is Miniac. This is Scott and John. So definitely check out the YouTube channel, the podcast. They've got all kinds of amazing content and resources that are extremely beneficial. They're easy to digest. And it's a lot of fun. I actually laugh quite a bit when you two are talking because you just laugh at each other so well. So, <laughs> Yeah, people have said we have a, a bromance going on. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to quell the rumors. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is the end of the show. So we're going to wrap this up. We'll see everyone next time. And as always, keep on killing them. <laughs> <laughs>